Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Dr. Todd Littleton. Todd is the pastor of the Snow Hill Baptist Church in Tuttle, Oklahoma. He's a graduate of Oklahoma Baptist University and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's a great guy and he's a good friend. I give you Todd Littleton. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Scott, thanks for having me on. I am a big fan of Synaxis. I'm glad and this is this is good to know. So it's 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 glad that you're now you're on this side of the recording, you know, strangely. Yeah, it might be kind of frightening to see what it sounds like, huh? And you are one of the best sounding people because you're of course our host of your own podcast, Patholo- Path Theological. Yeah, yeah, I have fun with that. I need to get it fired back up, but uh, in the meantime, I enjoy listening to uh, Give and Take, uh, New Persuasive Words, and Synaxis. So I well, want to thanks. get my plugs in for thank you, my, my man Scott Jones. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, you're very kind to do that. Thank you. And I'm glad you listened. Thanks for your support and your friendship. Just an all-around good guy. And thanks for coming on. So let's roll into the text here. We got Job 42, 1 through 6 and verses 10 through 17. It's kind of weird. There's a weird omission here, verses 7 through 9. I don't know why they meant that, but I mean, it because in those texts, right, you get this, uh, the Lord has spoken these words to Job, then he um, says to Eliphaz, um, you know, and my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what's right. And, you know, so he's kind of frustrated with Job's friends, and that's omitted. You know, but it's interesting because this is a pretty mysterious book, and, you know, I, my teacher and mentor, Dal Guter, said that when, he, when he, he grew up in Hollywood, California, and when he went to the University of Hamburg from undergrad through his doctoral work to study, he'd tell people he was from Hollywood, California, and the Germans would all go, ah, yes, das happy ending. <laughs> Is this is this weird? Is this like Das happy ending here or what? It, it is. It is. Uh, it, it is confusing on a number of levels, don't you think? I mean, um, even in Job's confession, he doesn't really confess a particular sin. He confesses that now he sees, almost like he sees clearly what he kind of had in mind, and then uh, his friends were really no help seeing God really at all, except uh, the conventional wisdom of his day. And then, and then this final ending is kind of. You know, all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you read it like, well, uh, since God caused you to suffer, boy, he's really going to give you the goods. Right, right, right. Exactly. This is sort of like you almost you could misread this as sort of a, a, a way that is very popular in in Houston, Texas at First Baptist <laughs> or whatever there, right? with Joe Osteen. Yes, yes. Is it called First Baptist? What is this church called? Uh, no, it's... Um... I just know they meet in the old Oracle Center, um, or the uh, maybe not Oracle. I can't remember the name of his church. It's big though. It's big, and and the, I'm sure this text is very popular. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, Maria, so I mean, what? How would you? 
encourage preachers to, I mean, I, 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 I like, it's interesting because Job is kind of, does get back things that he lost. I mean, there's ne- never a replacement for anything that's severe as, as losing loved ones or things, but he does get, get back things or he is blessed. And yet, you know, we wouldn't want to say that this we should read this as normative, right? Like as, as, right. as this is if, in every case, things will work this way. Yeah. You, you sort of wonder that it was the, the speech that got Job's attention uh, that indicated that all the things that he uh, didn't know God was in back of uh, and that were freely created, freely given, freely enjoyed. And it's almost like the conclusion is, is, is God wasn't obligated to, to double, uh, Job's blessing. He wasn't obligated in any way. It was, it was just in his freedom because of who Job discovered he was. We realized that all the benefit and blessing that came to Job was freely given. It wasn't, it wasn't like, Hey, you, you endured that suffering. Great. So we're going to give you, you know, two thumbs up and, uh, and we'll double your portion. Um, and so it, it, to me, it, you know, looking at it, it, it really seems like that there's kind of an affirmation of what Job saw, the, the wonder of God, the, you know, and, and the story just kind of concludes with, you know, God in his, in his uh, uh, freedom, you know, just uh, took care of Job. And in that day, I don't know how they avoided the idea, though, that um, somehow – um, his suffering, great suffering, was going to be rewarded that way. That's always kind of the part that kind of puzzles me. What's interesting, too, is you know some commentators think that the double portion is a subtle reference to Exodus 22, verse 4, where the thief has to provide double restitution for what's stolen. So maybe is the author being super wow. bold, holding the Lord <laughs> to the law in Exodus. But that's interesting, though, because then it's sort of like the trial is over, and the relationship is sort of restored. I mean, there could be a sort of legal covenantal kind of, I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's so much mysterious to the book of Job, right? There really is. I mean, you know, even, even what happens, you know, in those first six verses where you, you almost get this formulaic description of, of confession, uh, except there's really no confession as to what Job did. You know, so we talk about confess your sins to one another or we confess our sins to the Lord. And and yet there's no it's, you know, there's this knowledge. I didn't understand. You get the parallelism in in um, in verse two. You know, you asked who conceals uh, my counsel with ignorance. So obviously there's some sense of understanding and you just don't have it. And now he's going like, well, now I I spoke about things I didn't understand, things too wondrous for me. Uh, part of that, you, you, you kind of wonder at what point did Job lapse over into thinking he had everything all figured out? Uh, but he still wasn't, I didn't seem to me from, you know, reading from beginning to end that, uh, somehow that was his sin. It might've been his temptation, but, um, I don't know. I, 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 I've got a friend who's doing his PhD, um, can't remember where in, uh, England and, uh, he did it on Job and we've had some discussions about this. And so, he talks about uh, Jesus owned what uh, owned his experience, admitted it, and then changed his perspective. But uh, that would kind of imply, um, you know, some some sin that has not really yet been identified, unless it's a lack of humility. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, and it is interesting contrasting the the double restitution of what of 
physical sort of things with what Jesus says that those who leave anything for him will gain a hundred times in the kingdom. Yeah. You know, it's a, there's a different sort of rest, a different sort of reciprocity that works. Yeah. And in that passage you reference in Mark, uh, Mark's telling of it, you know, the uh, Peter was all uptight because, you know, hey, look, we've left everything. What are we going to get? We're going to we're suffering the indignities of uh, of uh, less. And uh, you read with the exception of um, houses and lands, you know, the disciples already experienced an extension or growth in their own families. Um, you know, they had they. Uh, we, we speculate, of course, that that you know they had a number of people who were people of peace who welcomed them in. So, you know, uh, whether it was um, Peter's mother-in-law's house or or there were other places where they stopped along the way, they had gained uh, those who were obedient and faithful, who had been you know mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. Um, and so it it seems as though that's already on its way. Um, Maybe the uh, confusing bit is the the houses and lands, except for the fact that, you know, if a person of peace welcomes you to their house, you know, they put you up and they they want to treat you like family. And, you know, I'm sure if I came to your place or you came to mine, it was like, hey, here's where things are. Make yourself at home. That's our phrase, you know, make yourself at home. And so uh, maybe they had already begun realizing some of the benefits of the kingdom and faithfulness to Jesus that they just had not yet seen. Yeah, and you think about these increases over in the Testaments, like, you know, there's this tradition that Moses is the meekest man on earth, and he doesn't get to go in the land, but the meek right. will inherit the entire earth in the right. in Jesus. So it's a very interesting yeah. kind of contrast. Yeah. So on to the book of Hebrews. We have Hebrews, the uh, seventh chapter, verses 23 through 28, where we have this reference, to again, to priesthood. It, it's so interesting. We were talking in the podcast last week about how it, it, priesthood is one of those things where, in the ancient world, everybody knew what it was, right? Like yes. Because yes. There, th- this mediatory thing is pretty important. And, you know, now if you're, if you're Catholic or Orthodox or Anglo-Catholic, you might have something in your mind about but still it, it probably isn't exactly the same evocative metaphor as mm-hmm. it is in the ancient world right and, and even though right, israel's right. priesthood is a little different and, and yet there's this sort of comparison about jesus priesthood as being better than pre, any other previous priesthood and and that he doesn't have to constantly offer sacrifices because he's done once for all yeah i i think you're right i think making the connection is is difficult but i I, I couldn't help reading the three texts, and I, and I don't want to get ahead, but, you know, there is this common seeing thing that's going on here. And the writer of Hebrews is is maybe trying to help, uh, through the language and the familiarity of the priesthood, help the uh, his audience to see uh, in Jesus uh, what, what they might not be able to see without the lens of the experience or historical kind of understanding of the role of the priest. And so if the priest was making sacrifice uh, and then uh, certainly had to make sacrifice for himself, and so then we get the right of Hebrews making those parallel comparisons, basically say that Jesus is greater or more than that, better than that, 
uh, he, he's helping them to see something that they hadn't seen before or maybe hadn't had clearly uh, before them in Jesus. And, and so I don't know how you get away from the priesthood, you know, the, that, that connection there for that particular audience. So do you, did you, do you have any ideas? Uh, I, I know you, you're asking me, but I want to flip that back and say, so what sort of parallels would you make today um, for the role of the priest in, 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 in your targeting an audience, you know, um, uh, to make this connection? Yeah, it's interesting because I think, you know, there's. I think Tom Long has this phrase that Princeton, former pre- Princeton preaching prophet, I forget where Tom Long is now, but the par- the parabola of salvation, and we have, mm-hmm. I guess it's sort of like a, a reverse pa- parabola or whatever, but where Jesus starts in heaven, right? Mm-hmm, and, and we right. have that in Hebrews here, and then, or we see it in John too, like uh, where you know, he starts in heaven and then descends, right? At the bottom of the ark, and then after the cross and the resurrection, the ascension, and goes back to heaven. So you have that up, down, up. But then the return to heaven is for us as as much as the descent is for us, right? So it's it's not like Jesus did his thing and now it's over. There's this sense in which he's there in the play before God to to be there for us. The for us doesn't stop. Uh, at, at the cross, you know, it, it, but it, it continues. So I think, I always think that's interesting that this sort of, that like when we don't know what to pray, we don't know if like we're, the times we're in worship and we're just, we don't know where we are, what we're doing and feel like that we're anything but in the presence of God, that, that there's one who sort of intercedes for us, who's, who, who, right. who lifts our own, you know, groanings or lack of groanings into the life of God. Yeah, I was doing a, a, a little bit of reading in, in, in prep for our conversation, and and uh, uh, um, I was just reminded of you know Jesus provides today. So like you said, you know, made that in in heaven is not just he did his thing and he's gone, but now here's what he does for us. It gives us never failing acceptance, uh, is making propitiation, it strengthens us in temptation, sympathizes with our weakness, supplies mercy and grace in time of need, and uh, pleads. Uh, for us on our behalf, uh, th- those are ongoing, ongoing activities like you described, and we don't sometimes don't make the connection that, that those are still present realities. Yeah, and, and then in ascending into, you know, the ascension, you know, and bringing his our humanity with him, that he brings us into the life of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that you know, and that comes at a, at a, at a, a great journey the great cost you know he, they have this idea that he's sinless and perfected mm-hmm. uh and that you know the the perfection you know it's it's whole idea of the active obedience of christ right he doesn't just die the death in our place but he lived the life in our place yes yes he's our faithfulness yeah and uh and in all the ways that we would be weakened by those experiences he is for us what we lack what we um miss absolutely On to the Gospels, we have Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. This is the second blind man healing story in Mark. And it's kind of the climax of this 
intensive discipleship training section of Mark, right? Where Jesus talks about, you know, after Peter's confession, talks about the cross and, and, and really the whole thrust of the gospel starts to change. And then there's this constant, you know, connection between suffering and the cross and, and, and the way of, uh, of Jesus, you know, not just his way, but the way of those who are his followers. So it's kind of brackets that, that section. Yeah, I thought that's pretty fascinating because one of the things that you know you get in that in that in that section is bracketed bracketed by the two healings of blind. Uh, I mean, you know, the first one is that two stage healing, you know, uh, uh, and and you kind of then you get the you get the three predictions of Jesus's death with the particular responses that give an indication that the disciples really just still aren't seeing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and and now the, the final bracket is is this. In, you know this healing uh, of this man who appeals for mercy um, just completely um, undercuts uh, the sense that the disciples, you know, I, I think should be getting it and they're not seeing. I mean, this is where I thought it tied really back to the Job, uh, Job passage and, and Job one. You know, here's what I was thinking, and now I see. You know, and and. Um, it's almost as though if, if Mark is really catechizing the early church and an early group of believers, it's like, do you see how they don't see what's going on with Jesus? What suffering and death and rising is going to look like and what it means, how it changes their social order, how it changes their reality, how it changes their future, how it changes their relationship with God, what, what that reconciliation looks like. Uh, we're helped to see um, you know, in these, in, in these ongoing um, – really up and down stories again, you know, to, to, to borrow your, you know, kind of, you know, mirroring uh, the, the disciples kind of ascend to a height, Peter, this confession, and then they descend into, uh, wait a minute, you know, get behind me, Satan. And then, you know, they, 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 they have the experience of hearing, um, you know, Jesus's prediction, and then they descend in the argument over greatness. And then they kind of back up and you think, well, maybe they get it. You know, they descend right back down with James and John looking for power. And it just seems, it seems like really a, a, an important kind of tie-in that, that there is a lot of seeing going on. That, that just kind of caught my attention across the three texts that there, there's something we're trying that, you know, that God's revealing about God's self. Um, and, 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 and you pick a little bit up and Job, you 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 pick obviously what the writer of Hebrews is doing, and then, and then and then of course here with the you know the signs of 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 seeing, um, you know the, the one who brings mercy. Yeah, and it's so interesting too because he he does he almost looks like the the model disciple, but probably because he's weak. Like his but he he confesses Jesus, son of David. Like he doesn't care about the scorn. He doesn't care about, you know, he throws his cloak off. And as a blind guy, who knows if it's probably his only exterior garment, he doesn't care. Like, who knows if he'll find it again. And and then when Jesus asks what he wants, I mean, it's funny because with James and John, you know, it's so funny. Like, it, it just even the question seems so, we, we we want something of you. Oh, what do you want? Grants, whatever we want. Yeah. And yeah. You, oh, okay, what do you want? Like, oh, we want to be at the one, two, you know, left, right side. Right. And this guy just says, I want to see. I just want to see. I and, just want to see. Yeah, and there's this whole metaphor, again, about seeing. Like, I want to get it. I just want to yeah. get it. You know, yeah. like, and, and that's it. Like, you know, and, and what will he first see? Jesus, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I... I I string it together too. Those those questions, you know, was, so you get the you get the rich man who 
who, what must I do? Then you get uh, James and John kind of couch their question is, we want you to do this for us, forcing Jesus then to ask them the question, so what do you want? And then here comes the blind man, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Uh, there's this, there's, there's this, you know, interesting interplay between the characters who are asking the questions and Jesus's response, so that the culmination, as you described it, in this really intense discipleship passage, comes down to: here's a man who, who uh, uh, flaunts scorn, flaunts convention, and he's just he's ready to see. He's ready to see, and I love what you said. And the first thing he sees is Jesus. Yeah, and I think about that great quote from Eugene Peterson about discipleship recently of blessed memory. Uh, yes. Yeah. He said, you know, discipleship is focusing less and less on Christ's righteousness or less and less on your righteousness or focusing more. Just he says, discipleship is, fo- is all about focusing more and more on Christ's righteousness and less and less on your own. Yeah. And, and, and it, the disciples seem to be focusing so much on their own status or righteousness mm-hmm. or, or position. And here, this guy has nothing and so he's able to look only to Christ. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and then it's in his in his lack that his, his discipleship is born. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Well, Todd, thanks for doing this with me, and blessings to our preachers this week. Hey, thanks, Scott. Always enjoy chatting with you. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes. Give it a rating write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Todd for coming on the podcast and thanks again to you for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.